0: Lord Jesus, as we as we come to hear from you once again this morning, uh, would we open ourselves to you? Come tend the soil of our soul. God, if there's ground that needs broken up, would you do that work? Uh, God, if we just need some, some water and some sunlight, we need some gentle encouragement, would you bring that this morning? In the end, we want to grow. We want to become more like you. We want to see new life. And we want to offer new life to those around us. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray once again. It's in your name. Amen. So uh, this is the last week of our uh, series where we've been working on our vision statements uh, as a church. We've been working on those things that that we are called to prioritize uh, in our lives. And so this week is kind of going to be a recap where we tie some things up before we move on. Uh, but I will say... We will not be moving on from these in terms of you're not going to hear about these anymore. Uh, My hope is that no matter where we are, no matter what we're looking at at Scripture, no matter what we're going through as a small group, uh, that these values that we've been talking about continually come back up. Because what we're trying to do, as the leadership of the church has has talked about and, and crafted these values, what we're trying to do is create a culture. You see, a culture is shared values that a group has. A group of people with shared values, and those values come from shared experiences and shared language. Uh, Think about it this way. We have an American culture. Our culture looks very different from every other country in the world because we have different values. We were shaped by different experiences and we have different language. When you look at countries, it's really simple because we have we legitimately speak a different language than most other countries. And even those that speak English would still say we speak a different language than they do. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like from England? First of all, their accent wins. I tell Kim all the time, like I'm super jealous. I wish I had a cool accent. But the problem is if I did, I wouldn't know it because it would just sound like normal and everyone else would get to benefit from it. But you talk with them and it doesn't take long before you go, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. They just used a phrase, I have no idea what that means. That word means something totally different here. Even though we're speaking the same quote unquote English, it's a different language. From, From north to south here in America, you will hear a different language. Different phrases, words mean different things. East coast to west coast, there's different cultures even within America, and one of the things that signifies that is different language. People have had different experiences that shape their lives, that shape their values, and communities form around this with the same values. When you look at like our overarching American culture, there's different flavors within it, but there are certain things that almost every American values. Freedom, independence, the, the ability to stand on our own two feet. These are things that we value, and when you look at our history, you can see Why? We had certain experiences, an, an oppressive king, overtaxing and all of this, that as a culture, we needed to throw off the weight of and to become independent. And we value that like no other culture in the world does. And our language reflects it. When you hear the turns the, the of phrase that we use, the, the people that we lift up and that we praise, we praise self-made men and women. They were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. There's nothing that couldn't stop them. This is the culture of America, and it comes from shared experiences and shared language, and it looks like shared values. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand that? So what we're trying to do is, as a church, create a culture where we have shared values and like, I hope that there's certain non-negotiables that, no matter what, we will always value. Like, for instance, Cheryl, you shared last week about communion. When we stop and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, we value that, yes? That is an experience that we all come together for. We share that. And we even have shared language when we talk about communion. Even the name of it, communion. That is not a word that we use. In any other context, we don't even talk about communing with one another. But when we say communion, all of us go to the same thing. Okay, so we're going to come in in some way, we're going to take some bread, and we're going to take some juice, and we're going to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's a shared value that we have. But as we look at these other ones, the, the ones that we've been working through for the last six weeks... I hope that we continue to hear those. I hope that these become phrases and words that you find yourself using when talking with other people because this is the culture that we're trying to create. So, the reason that we as a church exist is to see what? I'm giving you less and less each time. Does anybody remember? To see every person involved in kingdom life. That is what we're here to do. That is our common goal, our common mission as a church. If that doesn't happen, let's close the doors. That is what equals a win for us as a church. And we have to learn to rally around that. That is what we measure. That is what we celebrate. To see people outside of the kingdom invited in. To see those who are in the kingdom invited deeper. Growing and becoming more like Jesus. Yes? So that's what we're here to do. And and again, I'm kind of recapping here. There's four things that we think if we prioritize those, we'll see this happen. And remember, not we, meaning the organization of the Alliance Church. Because let me tell you a little bit about the organization of the Alliance Church. Most of the time, it's me alone in an office during the week. We have a part-time secretary and a part-time youth worker. There's not much to the organization. So if we're waiting for the organization of the Alliance Church to see every person involved in kingdom life, rut it's each of us taking ownership of this. What we're trying to actually do is create a culture of responsibility. For far too long, one of the things that has been lacking in, in Western culture, Western church culture is a culture of responsibility. It's always been somebody else's job. That's the paid staff. That's what they do. That's Why else do we have elders? That's what they're for. When we look at Scripture, and I hope that you've been hearing this as we've gone each week, what we find is that each of us as followers of Jesus are responsible for owning these values, are responsible for prioritizing these things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through And just look at each of these four again in a real quick, brief recap. And we're just going to talk about let's take it home. Real practical. What's our responsibility here? What's your responsibility and what's my responsibility here? Does it make sense? Okay. So the first one that we looked at is divine expectation and engagement. And here's how we defined that. That we are a people motivated by and hungry for the presence of God and partnership with Him transformation. Do you you hear the responsibility in that? That word partnership puts the responsibility on each of us. That we are motivated and hungry for the presence of God. Look, when God shows up, we are different. When, When God shows up, we don't really have a choice but to be hungry for more. But our job is to partner with him in that. Our responsibility is partnership. So what does that look like? When we gather together, like on a Sunday morning, the the typical Western church thing goes, I hope they play songs that I like. I hope that the preacher preaches a good message. And if you're at a bigger church, um, who's preaching today? Because there's certain people I like and there's certain ones that I don't like and it's all based around my preference. And I hope somebody else does the work for me and I just get to show up and experience God. But we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. And most of us instinctively know that that doesn't work. It's our responsibility to live with a sense of expectation. We're going to look real quick at when we gather and then we're going to look in our daily, just personal lives. It's our responsibility to invite the Lord in and to partner with him, to engage with him when he shows up. To come in with an attitude that says, look, regardless of what songs we sing, regardless of who is preaching or what they're preaching on or whether it's an A or a C that day, regardless, I will expect the Lord's presence and I will worship him this morning. When we come together as as small groups, well, I don't really like the curriculum that we're doing, or it's been a busy week, I'd kind of rather be somewhere else, but like, you know what, I committed to this, let's go. I will worship the Lord regardless. Because whether or not I experience the presence of the Lord and experience his transformation is dependent on me. Now look, there are some times when I have lived in such a way and and I'm expecting the Lord in such a way where it splashes over on you. And you didn't do a thing, you just showed up and man, the Lord was just powerful and He was there. That will happen. More often times, it's because some of you have come and prepared your hearts in such a way and you've invited the Lord, you expect Him in such a way that He shows up and we're all wowed by it. That does happen, but if that's our plan A, that somebody else prepares well enough and I just get to roll in, and hopefully I sat close enough in the splash section and I get wet from it, you're missing it. That is not enough to sustain us. That is not enough to transform us. Each of us, when we gather together, has to come with a prepared heart. And look, kind of like I was sharing earlier, some mornings you wake up and man, I'm just in it. It's easy, let's go. And sometimes it is work. Because I would just rather be somewhere else. I'm just tired. I'm just kind of cranky. We fought on the ride in. And now we got to go play church. Sometimes it is work. But that's why we're saying it's a value. It's a priority. It's something we have to place in really high regard. Because it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural. But if each of us doesn't prepare our heart, not only will I miss out, but here's the the part that's hard. I can cause you to miss out. Sometimes my sin, my hard-heartedness, can cause us to miss out. I don't ever want to have to look at another brother and sister in the face and go, hey, you missed him today and it was my fault. I don't know that I'm going to be that aware, but there will come a day where we're held accountable, and I don't want that to be the story. There was a cap put on our gatherings because of where I was. I want to experience the Lord, and I want to do everything in my power to see you experience the Lord's presence and be transformed by it. But it starts with our responsibility. How many of us pray on the way into a gathering? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Is that a regular practice that we have? Lord, help me to set down everything from this past week or everything that's been going on and truly just seek you here. Tonight at this small group, this morning at church, at this prayer meeting, at this Bible study, men's group, women's group, whatever it is. Lord, when we gather together, would you you help me to just see you clearly? Are, Are we going in prayerfully? That's that expectation part. Not man, the Lord showed up and I was caught off guard by it. But I have been asking him to come in and to meet with us, to change us. So that when he shows up, it's always going to be a bit of a shock, because he's bigger than we can imagine. But we go, that's exactly what I've been praying for, Lord. Are we coming in with that sense of expectation? Are we choosing real worship? What I mean by that is this. Okay, we gather together, we're singing, we're praying together. We've all had this experience. I wouldn't even ask for a raise of hands. Singing a song, and you kind of feel like, I don't know if I'm supposed to clap. Am I supposed to raise a hand? Like, there's a, I have this feeling that I'm, there's something that's supposed to happen, but then instantly, ooh, but there's a lot of people here. And none of them are doing that. What are they going to think of me if I really just worship like, like it's put on my heart? Maybe it's to sit down and put your head in your hands. I've had a couple really, 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 really uncomfortable times when I've been in like smaller times worshiping with people, and the Lord said, lay down on your face. And I said, oh God, these aren't those kinds of people. Oh wait, I'm not that kind of people. And he said, I don't care. In those times, again, the engagement piece, when he shows up, he's in charge. Whose worship is it? His we're gathering to meet with Him, to lift up His name, to hear from Him, and to be changed by Him. Will we choose real worship? And Listen, you know that you're not as soon as a thought hits your mind of going, ooh, but what would people think? As soon as you have that thought, you have a choice to make. Am I really going to engage with the Lord? He's present, and He's kind of calling me a little deeper. The fact that the fear is there That's your choice. I get to choose now. Will I worship him or will I give in to fear of man? Will I miss out on engaging with the Lord because of what he thinks or she would think? Will we choose true worship when we gather together? In our daily lives, going where we already know the Lord is, all right, like we, we want the Lord to be present in our day, but sometimes we kind of get stuck with like, okay, but how do, how do I do that? How do I start to live this out? Trying to be real practical. Go where he already is. Where are some places that we can count on finding the Lord? I don't mean go to physical places. It's not like he's in that apartment over there, go knock on the door. Okay, in his word. We know that the Lord wants to meet with us through his word. He's promised it again and again and again. Am I I doing my part? Am I coming to the word and going, okay, Lord, meet with me today? Where else? Prayer. Okay, Lord, maybe it's hard. Maybe I'm distracted. Maybe I'm I'm just not good at this. But you say that when your people pray, you hear their prayers and actually come and meet with them. So I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And, and we've talked about this many times before. Maybe it starts with like two minutes. I'm not even talking an hour-long prayer time in the morning before you go to work or school. But whether or not you experience his presence, you, you, you engage with him, is your responsibility. Are you doing your part? And we've talked about this. There's going to be times when you read and it's like there was nothing there. Those days happen. Those days come and go. But am I doing my part so that when the Lord wants to show himself to me, I'm ready? Because if not, I can't point at anyone else. I can't go, well, the church should have, or they never. I'm missing out because I'm not doing what I'm responsible for. Do we have a predisposition to worship? Again, I'm just kind of recapping. If you guys remember that, that was that thing of, look, I expect the Lord to show up, and I want to engage with Him when He does. I want to partner with Him. So Lord, before you even tell me what you want me to do, my answer is yes. I, I will obey you before I even know what it is. That, that's that kind of living with expectation. Let me tell you, that is a prayer that God will answer. God, I want to meet with you so bad that I'm telling you, whatever it is you call me to, I'm in. Now, what is it? God will show up. Most of the time, and we go, okay, God, I kind of want to experience your presence, but what's it going to cost me? I I want to engage with you. I want to partner with you. I want to become like you, but hold on. Where are you going? you got to tell me that first before I tell you whether or not I'm in. And what this is calling, again, the responsibility is on me. Lord, I'm going to obey before you even tell me what it is. Yes. Now just tell me where to go. If we will come with divine expectation and engagement, with this kind of personal responsibility, we as a church will experience the presence of the Lord. We will grow. We will be transformed. We as individuals will become more like Jesus. If we will have to take this ownership, have a culture of responsibility It's no one else's job but mine. If we all do that, you realize we all grow, right? And on your bad days, man, maybe some of the Lord's presence will splash off of me onto you. And on my bad days, or man, I'm just struggling, I've got you there to encourage me to where I can see the Lord moving in your life and there is something that I am drawn to. But we each have to take responsibility for that. I need some kind of movement with the mask Again, it's hard. Give me some eyebrow nodding. Okay. Practical discipleship. Walking arm-in-arm in intentional relationship towards transformation into the character and priorities of Jesus. And this, again, these all kind of feed into and off of each other. I need you and you need me. I can't be all that Jesus is calling me to be without you. You have experience and gifts that I need and I have the same that you need. And we are called to walk arm in arm through life together to be transformed into the person of Jesus, into his character and his priorities. Everything in my life begins to look more like him. So here, in this next part, I'm going to say something and it's going to seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth and I'm okay with it. Your Discipleship is your responsibility, no one else's. Your brother and sister's discipleship is your responsibility. Wait, what? Mine is my own responsibility, but his is my responsibility too. Shouldn't his be his responsibility? Yes, both. And what I mean by that is this, as soon as you have the awareness that there is something in my life missing, there, there is something that there's a tool that I don't have that is keeping me from becoming more like Jesus. They keep telling me, read the Bible, but no one ever taught me how. I don't know how to read the Bible. As soon as I have that awareness that I'm missing something, it is my responsibility to go seek out a brother or sister who has what I need and go, will you please teach me that? That's on me. That's my responsibility. As soon as I have that awareness, it's on me. Man, they talk about praying a lot, but I don't know how to pray. Kind of feels like it's just talking to thin air. Other people seem to get it more than I do. As soon as I have that awareness, it's now my responsibility to go, hey, will you teach me what you have? I want to grow so much. I want to be transformed to look like him so much that I need you to teach me. And it works the same way the other way. As soon as I look at your life and I see that like, man, every time we talk about reading the Bible, this person doesn't even know where to turn. They're holding the book upside down. You know what I mean? Like we talk about reading the Bible and they just keep asking some super basic questions that show that like they've never even, they don't have a foundation in this. No one's even taught them what the Bible is. It's just a book that they feel guilty for not reading. As soon as I have that awareness, it is my responsibility to go to that brother or sister and say, hey, it seems like this is an area where you're just kind of starting out. You're just kind of learning and growing. Can I I show you some basics? Is that something that would be valuable to you? It seems like every time that we're in a group and we pray, you always stay really silent. And some people are a little more shy, and I get that, but I'm just wondering, is it that maybe you've, you've never been taught how to pray, and so you're pretty insecure about it? If that's the case, I'd love to walk with you. I'd, lo- I'd love to help you in that. We talk about, you know, sharing your faith with someone, and every time that comes up, or maybe I've, I've had a conversation with you, and you've said, man, I don't even, I I don't even know what that means. I have no idea how to do that. It seems pretty pivotal, like something we're really supposed to do, but I don't even know the first step. It is now my responsibility to come alongside and go, hey, I don't have it all figured out, but can I show you what I do have figured out? Uh, A pastor named Andy Stanley says it like this, it's not my job to fill your cup, it's just my job to empty mine. And what that means is this. Man, there may be people out there that are way better at reading the Bible. They've, got, they've studied it more. They have a degree in it. They have way more figured out. But it's not my job to teach you everything they know. It's my job to take what little bit is in my cup and pour it into yours. Let me, let me help you at least get to where I am. Your discipleship is your responsibility. As soon as you are aware of an area where you are lacking, an area where you are being held back, it is your responsibility to go seek out someone to help bring you along. People did this to Jesus all the time. They would watch how he lived and they would come up and they would say, Teacher, teacher, will, will, you, will you teach us this? Will you show us this? What must I do? We even think of the rich young ruler who got the whole thing wrong. But it started with Jesus, What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He saw that, man, Jesus has some things that I'm missing. And he at least got it enough where he went, I got to go talk to this guy. I got to get what he has. Jesus told him the cost and he went, eh, that's a little much, never mind. And he backed off. But we're to have that heart. There can't be any area where I just go, well, I guess me and Jesus just, I'm not going to talk to him anymore because I don't know how to pray. I'm going to continually beat my head against the wall trying to read this book that I don't know how to make heads or tails out of. I'm gonna to continue to be disobedient and not share my faith with people because I just don't even know where to start. Somebody has to teach me and I'm gonna go find them. We can't let baby Christians, young ones who, maybe they're older than you even, but they're younger in the faith or they're younger in that one area. We can't let them just flounder and die. It's our responsibility to go to them, to link arms with them and help them grow and mature. And look, they may go, nah, I'm good. It's their responsibility. I'm just helping make them aware and offering to them. I can't force it on them. But my brother and sister's discipleship is my responsibility. Our kids' discipleship is our responsibility. For far too long, again, the the predominant culture has gone, but that's why I send them to Awana, is so that they can teach them how to read the Bible. Because too many parents go, because I don't know what to do with that thing. They're not worried about their own discipleship and they look at their kids and go, I don't even know where to start. I'll just send them off and have someone else do it. Which, listen, is there a problem with sending your kids to Awana or Children's Church or Youth Group or any of those things? No. It's an incredible help. But it's meant to be the church partnering with you while you disciple your kids. We want to come alongside. We want to help out. But in the end... Their responsibility that God has given you. Your family, your, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, their discipleship is your responsibility. It's not, man, if you can just get them to come in here and sit down once a week, maybe it'll start clicking. How do I take responsibility for seeing those that God has put in my sphere of influence grow and become more like Him? Myself included, I'm at the center. Because if I'm not becoming like Him, I have nothing to offer others. Does this make sense? Got real quiet. I've used the word responsibility too much, haven't I? Scared some of you off. A family on mission. A unified church moved to spur one another on to greater love and good deeds. The unity of the church is my responsibility. Now... Much like we've looked at, I'm I'm not going into all of the scripture passages that we went through when, when we looked at each of these, but Paul says, man, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone, right? He didn't say drag them kicking and screaming until they're at peace with you, but as far as it concerns you, be at peace, be unified, be one. We looked at Jesus' prayer for the church in John 17, where he said, by your oneness, the world will know I've sent you. He said, this is not a tier two issue. Your unity, your peace, your oneness together is the hallmark of Jesus' presence with us. But far too many of us, Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing there, go, but no, not after what they did. They need to come to me. They deserve for me to be a little angry at them. And you said it in a cute little squeaky voice through your mask, and I loved it, but like, oh, they had this one coming. And what did Jesus say? But as far as it concerns you, be at peace. Go to your brother and sister. Maybe you didn't do a single thing wrong. Most likely you did. But maybe even you didn't. But if there is unrest between you and a brother or sister, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and bring peace. It is on each and every one of us. It's our responsibility to pursue peace. And listen, that's in the church, that's out of the church. Paul didn't put a caveat on it. He said, pursue peace with everyone. As soon as you are aware that there is a brokenness of relationship, you are called to start taking steps to bring peace. Now again, that person may stiff arm, they're responsible for their side of it, but are you taking the steps to bring peace and to bring unity? Especially in the church, we can't afford to be disunified. Now again, unity doesn't mean full agreement on everything. What it means is that we go, here are the top tier things and we need to keep them top tier. Who Jesus is and who he's calling us to be trumps everything else. So even if we disagree on these things, we can disagree on those and still move forward together. My love for you is is higher than whatever it is we're disagreeing with. So we can talk, we can disagree on things. Everything doesn't have to be a unanimous vote. But once we decide to move forward, this is what God has called us to, and whether I voted this way or that way, I'm in. Because this is the way God's leading his church. To be a unified church, move to spur one another on to greater love and good deeds. If you see a brother or sister in sin, that is your responsibility. That is my responsibility. Is it theirs too? Yep. But have you ever had this scenario where somebody comes to you and says, hey, yesterday I saw you had this interaction with this person, and you said this. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but that, that seemed maybe harsher than you meant. That, that seemed pretty offensive. And you go, oh, wow, I had no idea. I, I had crossed a line. I had offended someone. I had sinned. And I didn't even know it. And without that brother or sister coming to me, and, and not going, hey, dummy, but putting their arm around me and going, hey, I don't even know if you saw it, but coming to me in love and pointing out my sin, I would still have that broken relationship with that person and I probably wouldn't even know why. Once, it's, once I'm aware of it, it's my responsibility to take steps. But if you see me walking in sin, it's your responsibility as a brother or sister in the family of God, to come to me and try to point to me the way I should go, to live a life worthy of the calling that we have been given. Far too often, we sit back and we go, oh no, that would be too messy. I'm just going to let them go. That's none of my business. That's between those two. I, I shouldn't even say anything. If I see a brother or sister in sin... I can't say I love them and say it's too awkward. I'll just let them remain in broken relationship. It's my responsibility to go to you. It's your responsibility to go to me. Sin leads to broken relationship between us and between the Lord. And if I love you, I can't let you stay there in that. Again, you may cuss me out and say, get out of my face with that. They had it coming, they whatever. That's on you now. But to go to you with that is my responsibility. There's a, one of the very first questions asked in the scripture. And it was Cain asking God something. Does anybody know what question he asked him? Am I my brother's keeper? Ever since God has been answering that question, yes. In the nation of Israel, yes, you are your brother's keeper. In the church, even more so, yes, you are your brother's keeper. If you see your brother walking in sin, and when I say brother, I'm talking the biblical brother, brother, sister, yes, it is your responsibility to do everything you can to walk them back into the light. Boy, it is quiet. The last one, an outward focus, a commitment to bring life and healing to those around us with a heart that breaks for what breaks his. We just looked at this one last week. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. We are called to take responsibility for the lostness around us. Now, what I mean by that when I talk about taking responsibility for the lostness around us isn't if there are lost people around you, it's your fault. It isn't, it doesn't mean like if there's sin happening in your neighborhood, in your workplace, it's your fault. Not that kind of responsibility, but the kind that says, I have the life and healing that they need, and I'm responsible to bring it into these dark places. We are all called to take responsibility for the lostness around us. In your workplace, in your classroom, in your home, in your neighborhood. God has put you there for a reason, and it's to bring light into darkness. Not to just make it through, and hopefully there's not too much conflict along the way. God has strategically placed each of us where we are for a reason. To live with that outward focus, to bring life and healing to those around us. One helpful tool that has been helpful to me is something called a hashtag house. Chris, you wanna put that picture up there for me? Here's the idea of a hashtag house. It's a super simple thing that can actually have a big impact is to look at your neighborhood and maybe you live in a neighborhood, maybe you live out in a farm somewhere and you gotta get a little more creative with this. But the idea is this, who has God placed around me? If I looked at, go to Google Maps, find your house, and look around it at the, at the extending area, who lives across from me, behind me, beside me, and kind of those diagonal points, whose names would I put around me? Those are my responsibility now. God has made me, in the most literal sense possible, their neighbor, we, don't even, we can't even look like the, the Jewish lawyer who came to Jesus and went, but who is my neighbor, really? He says, those people. Like, you, you see them when you drive past their house to pull into your driveway. You wave at them before you put the garage door down and ignore them. Those are your neighbors. Love your neighbor like yourself. To spend time praying for those eight families and again, maybe where you live, it's not as clean as that, and you got to get a little more creative. But the point being, God has placed you where you are on purpose. Who are the people that he has made you neighbors with? And how do you take responsibility for them? First, I'm going to pray for them. Secondly, I'm going to actually try like, to be intentional and find ways to engage with them. Maybe I take walks, and maybe I'm gonna bake them a pie. Pastor Marcus talked about that one before. I'm gonna take them a pie, and went, "Hey, just I made a pie for myself, and thought I bet they'd like one too." So I just wanted to make you a pie. In our neighborhood, a lot of the neighbors like walk, and they kind of congregate in some of the cul de sacs. And listen, it's always at a time that it's super inconvenient for me. I'd rather be doing something else. But when I see my neighbors out there to go, I'm gonna put down whatever I'm doing, and I'm gonna go out there and they're just complaining about school. They're just talking about sports. They're just what, like, whatever it may be, but I'm gonna go be intentional to build relationships with them because their lostness is my responsibility. I truly believe one day when I get to heaven, God will go, hey, so I had you there in that neighborhood on purpose. What did you do? Like, were you intentional about reaching people? Or were you just living your life? I want to have a good answer for that. I'm going to read, by way of closing this morning, a parable from Luke chapter 19 that talks about this idea of responsibility. And this uh, parable is told a couple different ways in a couple different Gospels. While they were listening to this, the, uh, the big crowd that was gathered around Jesus... He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So there's a group of people there right before the triumphal entry and they're thinking, oh, the king is coming in and he's going to like kick Rome out. And they were expecting like, boom, kingdom on earth right now. And Jesus was trying to tell them, it's not going to be what you think. Actually, you're going to have to keep living life for a while. And so he's trying to prepare them for that. And he tells them this, he said, "A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas, a large sum of money. "Put this money uh, sorry lost it. put this money to work, he said, "until I come back." But his subjects hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, "We don't want this man to be our king." He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first came to him and said, Your mina has earned ten more. I doubled it. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more, a 50% gain. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you take my money and put it on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest?" Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they replied, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Now we we hear that, and sometimes it can be hard to go, okay, what do I do with that? Does that mean that Jesus wants me to spend my money? Like I got to get in the stock market and like double my income? No. He's telling them, look, I'm going away for a while, and while I'm gone, it is your job to use everything I have given you to advance the kingdom, to invest it in the lives of other people so that when I come back on that glorious day when he returns, we don't go, oh, I took everything you gave me, and I buried it somewhere. It was too hard. I didn't know what to do with it. I was scared I might lose something, And so I just did nothing with my time and opportunity. What he's talking about here is you have a responsibility to invest everything he's given you in the lives of those around you. The lost brothers and sisters, whoever it may be. So that when he comes back, we're able to not just go, well, I sat on my thumbs, but I didn't get into too much trouble. Is that okay? But we're able to go, look at how people's lives are different because I was in it. And if that sounds at all arrogant to you, you misunderstand. Not because I'm so great, but because God has given me gifts, talents, abilities, experiences that truly can and will make your life better if I will choose to invest them. And one day I want to stand and call out names and go, God, I invested in them. I I took every opportunity possible to invest in them. And on that day, again, if it sounds arrogant, I'm sorry, I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I want to spend my life doing well and being a faithful servant. So what we need in our church is a culture of responsibility where we say, you are my responsibility and so am I. Our growth is my responsibility whether or not we experience the Lord together is my responsibility. I can't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. I can't bury it, ignore the opportunities, and expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So I'm gonna ask the music team to come up and what we're gonna we do something a little different today and we're just gonna spend a minute just in silence before the Lord. Just asking him, Lord, is there an area like some of the things that we've talked about, or maybe he wants to go somewhere different. He's God and I'm not. Lord, is there an area of my life where you're calling me to take responsibility, maybe for someone else, maybe in my own life, and I've kind of stiff-armed you. I've buried it in the backyard to keep it safe, and you're calling me to invest. So we're going to spend a few minutes just being silent, and then we'll close uh, with a song. So right where you are, just ask the Lord. Is there any area you're calling me to be responsible? Lord Jesus, as we as we offer you this time, I know how, how wicked my own heart is. Everything you bring up, I'll have good excuse for. Here's why I can't. Here's why I haven't. But the fact is, Lord, if you bring them to our heart, you're calling us to put those above all the excuses. You're calling us to pay whatever it costs to invest in the kingdom, to see every person involved in kingdom life, to push back darkness, to to walk with brothers and sisters uh, who need encouragement, who need love, who need uh, equipping, to spend what is the most difficult time of my day in prayer, seeking your face. Lord, as those excuses come, would you help us to overcome them? As we count those costs, may we come with a predisposition for obedience. I've already said yes. Now just help me to manage the cost, Lord. May we take responsibility for the kingdom growth in our body, in our city, in our family, in our own hearts and lives. May we choose no matter the cost, I will see the Lord glorified. And may our church, our families, our neighborhoods, our cities be different because of it, Lord Jesus. In your name. Amen.